I am not going to preach the sermon that I was planning on preaching today. Um, my pop-pop died on Friday. I want to look, I want to open up God's Word and look at what it says about grieving. Because God has a lot to say about it, and it's actually good. And it's all things that God says is good. But I want to, I believe if we, we look at a few examples of grieving in the Scripture, and we look particularly at the look at the life of Jesus, that um, God's Word gives us hope. And this is particularly relevant for my family and I, but the truth is if we're all honest, and, and a lot of you are and some of you aren't, you know, but no, no matter where you're at in life, there is some type of grieving process that you are in the middle of. And there's a lot of different kinds of grief. There, there's grief over the loss of a loved one. There's, there's grief over the hurts and pains that have been inflicted upon you by others. And there's another kind of grief where you grieve the sin that's in your life, and it's part of what Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. It's the godly sorrow that leads to repentance. I was, I was looking in God's Word. You know, I, I don't... When, when God describes grief, He doesn't really make too many distinctions. You know, He uses the same word for all three of those types of grief, and He... Um, and much of what we see in the life of Christ, and we're also going to look at the life of David a little bit, we're going to see that, that, that what they go through really is relevant to grief, whatever type of grief that you're experiencing. Um, so let's bow our head and, and go to God. Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for your leading. God, I pray that somehow you would take these ideas and put your hand upon them and, and bring your truth into the hearts of your people. I pray that you'd build your church. I pray that you would grow your people. That you would woo our hearts, Lord, so that we would see you in all of your glory. So that we would love you, Lord, that we would follow you more faithfully. So I thank you, God, for this day. Thank you for this week. I thank you for my pop pop. I thank you for everything, Lord. These things are from you, Lord, and so we receive this and thank you for it and ask that you would be near and be present to us. In Christ's name. Amen. Keep in mind I'm preaching this for me. <laughs> okay. Um so my pop-pop, I may have some details wrong, and those of you who know my pop-pop, forgive me if I get some of the details wrong, but he was 81 years old. He married my grandma when she was 15 and when he was 19. They'd been married for 61 years and um, served in the military, um, worked many decades at uh, Union Camp and International Paper. He was also a farmer. Uh, grew up in the White Oak area and lived there for most of his life um, also. He was very special to me. He lived a half mile down the road um, for me when I was growing up. So as soon as mom and dad let me ride my bikes by myself, boom, that's where I would go. Grandma and Pop Pop would, would spoil me rotten. And so that's where I would want to be. And so we've got a lot of special memories together. He taught me how to hunt. He taught me a little bit about fishing and, you know, just a lot of sweet times together. Um, and so, so that's just a little bit about my Pop Pop. Um, I just saw a really neat side of him. I'm very thankful that these last six months that I could be here with him, um, you know, as his health has deteriorated the way it has. Um, 
And I'm also thankful that um, they were able to have a place in Florida about an hour and a half from where me and Jennifer have lived. And so really the past, I'd say, seven years or so, um, you know, for five or six months out of the year, they're down there, and we were down there too. And so we got to see them every three or four weeks, and um, I got to see them more than, than my immediate family. And, you know, so we had a, they had a unique relationship with my kids, and, and my pop-pop took great delight in all of his great-grandchildren. Um, and uh, that was, these, these last few weeks, that was one of the few things that I saw him enjoy, just because there wasn't much to enjoy with the way he felt. So what do we do? What do we do when somebody dies? What do we do when somebody hurts us? What do we do when we realize that something in our life has to change and that we've really been screwing up royally? You know, what do we do when we're there in that process of godly sorrow? Um, Psalm 147.3, He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. He heals the brokenhearted and He binds up their wounds. Matthew 5.4, and I'm going to be going all over the place, um, so just, just hang with me. <laughs> um, Matthew 5.4, Blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. If you're mourning, you shall be comforted. Now we have two lies. Actually, I'm kind of three. You know, when times get hard, there's this idea that we have to keep it all together for everyone. And there's a time and a place for that. But really, there's a time and a place where there's not a time and a place for that. In the mourning and grieving process, we don't have to keep it all together. It doesn't mean we can do anything we won't, but it doesn't mean that we have to keep a happy face on for people. God is calling us to genuineness and authenticity. How many of us have ever heard brave little boys don't cry if they want to become men? Toughen up. That's not okay. Stop your crying. And sometimes I catch myself wanting to tell my kids that sometime. You know, not allowing them the opportunity to grieve and to mourn. And then there's also this thing that we've all heard where someone just tells you to get over it. Now, people whine, people do all that, and I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about when there's genuine pain and grief over something bad that has really happened to you. Um, that's what I'm talking about. So God made us. He made us in His own image. Okay? So so I, I, I look at that, and I know that a lot of what, a, a lot of how we are made in the image of God, that pretty much everything we have came from God. And of course, we went and sinned in Adam, and so it tainted that, distorted that, messed that up a bit. But I have to know, I, I feel very strongly that God made us in His image and that He's an emotional God. These emotions, these feelings that we have that go up and down and all over the place and, you know, that give us good days and give us bad days, you know, those emotions originated in the heart of God. 
Now, now sin did come and, and distort that, but what I want to share is that, is that we are emotional people. We are people who have emotions. Let me say it like that. It might be a bit more clear. We are people who have emotions because the God who created us is one who also has emotions. And so, let's look at King David for just a moment. One of the reasons, you know, he wrote the majority of the Psalms. And one of the reasons that people love the Psalms is because there's this guy who, in some ways, is very unlike most of us because he's king of one of the greatest nations in the world. And he has power and authority and riches unlike anything that any of us can relate to. You know, so it's, it, it's, and he writes all these songs and he's a worship leader while he's a king. And, and, but he also bore his heart before God as he wrote those songs. It, it didn't matter what was in there. It went on that paper. And some of them were good for leading God's people in worship. Others were not. The Psalms had different purposes and, and, and different reasons why they were written and different reasons of how they could be used in our life. But have you ever found yourself going to the Psalms because you're sitting there reading it and you're like, you know what, this guy's in the pits. But I can relate to that man right now. And the Psalms are a book that have been known even before Jesus came. They, they were just known as a collection of writings that brought great comfort to God's people. Now the Bible says that David was a man after God's own heart. And, you know, he wasn't perfect. If you know anything about his life, you know some of the dumb, boneheaded things that he did. But still the fact remains that, that God said he was a man after his own heart. And for the majority of his life, that's where David was at. And all that he did, and all that he thought, and all that he wanted, and all that he gave himself to, he was after the very heart of God. And so, he embraced where he was emotionally. He was well acquainted with the ups and downs of the human heart, much more so than I am, much more so than most of us in here are. And the truth is, as I read some of the things he wrote, I long to be able to talk to God the way that he did. I long to be able to be that transparent with God and as I read the Psalms, I realize that God can handle whatever it is that we bring to Him. So in 2 Samuel, the, the story is recorded of two of his sons that were killed. Psalm thirteen thirty seven it says, And David mourned many days for his son Amnon. And then in 2 Samuel 18, verse 33, The king was overcome with emotion. He went up to the room over the gateway and he burst into tears. And as he went, he cried, Oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, if only I had died instead of you, oh, Absalom, my son. Now, I hope I never have to know this, and I bet there's some of you in here who have, but the death of a child, that, that's what David's wrestling with right here. He was overcome with emotion. He burst into tears. And he cried in desperation, Oh, my son Absalom, if only I had died instead of you. So Psalm 31, verses 7 through 10. 
I will be glad and rejoice in your unfailing love, for you have seen my troubles. And you care about the anguish of my soul. You have not handed me over to my enemies, but have set me in a safe place. Have mercy on me, O Lord, for I am in distress. Tears blur my eyes. My body and soul are withering away. I am dying from grief. My years are shortened by sadness. Sin has drained my strength. I am wasting away from within. I'm going to read that again. Listen to what it says about God. Listen to how honest David is. And he knows the heart of God. He's very familiar and well acquainted with the heart of God because he spends so much time with God. And so when a time of distress comes upon him, God's word is there in his heart and he's already able to receive comfort from the truth of God. He says, I will be glad and rejoice in your unfailing love. Because you see, no matter what's going on with us, no matter what we're feeling, no matter what we've just lost, no matter what we're going through, His love is unfailing, church. For you, it's unfailing. For you have seen my troubles. There's nothing that you've been through that He has not seen. His eyes extend into every corner of this planet, into every corner of your home, and into every corner of your heart. There's nothing that He has not seen. There's nothing that cannot be hidden from Him. There's nothing that you cannot hide from Him. He already knows. You care about the anguish of my soul. You have not handed me over to my enemies, but have set me in a safe place. Have mercy on me, Lord, for I am in distress. Tears blur my eyes. Do you think you can tell God something that's hard? All of us in here have had have, have had times in our life where we've grieved and we've known that some people can't handle it. And that's true. You know, I, I understand that. I get that. And, you know, it's healthy to exercise some wisdom at some times with that. I want to tell you God can handle it. God can handle you and everything that you feel right in your worst moment. And He can receive you right there. Tears blur my eyes. My body and soul are withering away. I am dying from grief. My years are shortened by sadness. Sin has drained my strength. I am wasting away from within. So we see King David. and If you're familiar with the Bible, you know that in so many ways King David was was a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ. And, and you know, Jesus is the greater David. And there, there's a lot of that when you look at the Old Testament. So so God sends Jesus. And Jesus is one of David's great, 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 and a few more great grandchildren. And many generations later he came from David's line. But about seven hundred years before Jesus came, the prophet Isaiah said in Isaiah fifty three three, he says he was in, he, he's speaking ahead. This is prophetic. He's saying this is what's going to happen. That there's going to be someone who comes. And he's going to be despised and rejected by men. That this man is a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And, and no one questions who that passage in Isaiah 53 is about. It's about Jesus. 
There is no doubt about that. And it's prophesied centuries before he gets here that he is a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. Now this is important. You know, Jesus came, and, and we like to look at Jesus' life, and we like to say we can learn these things from Jesus' life, and, and, and that is true 100%. You know, Jesus came as, as fully God. You know, and, and we went through that a lot during Advent in December. You know, the, the other side of that coin, the very unique thing, is that Jesus was fully human. That the God who created us and the one who loves us, not only did he make us, but he came and he became one of us. No other religion, no other God, little g God, no, nobody, nobody else can claim to serve a God who has done that, who has become what he created. So Jesus came. You know, after the fall, we were all marred by sin. I mean, it, it just it messed up a ton of things. But Jesus came, and he, he was God in the flesh. He was fully human, completely human. You look at Jesus' life, and he will teach us how to be human. He will teach us how to be who he created us to be. And, and because he was with, without sin, we can look at him. We can look at the life that he lived, and we can know that the things that he did and the things, the way he responded to things, we know that that, is, is what it's like to be truly human. Because when we sinned in Adam, part of our humanity was, was just twisted and distorted by that sin. And Jesus gave us a picture of what it was like to, to be humanity without sin. So did Jesus get upset? Did he cry over those that he loved? Did he go through hard times? How did he respond to those who were attacking him? Matthew 14, 13. The chapter tells the story of John the Baptist. He was in prison and Herod threw a big party. And you know, I'll make a long story short. Pretty much Herod had to decapitate John the Baptist. So we don't like that word, but that stuff's in the Bible. Jesus heard about this. Um, I think Jesus and John the Baptist were cousins. I'm not sure, but I'm getting some nods. And they were about six months apart from each other. And their mothers spent time together before they were born. And when Mary, the mother of Jesus, went to see Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist, um, John the Baptist leapt in her womb when Mary arrived. And it's a beautiful story. So you see before they were born that they had this very unique relationship. And they most likely played together as children. They didn't live that far apart from one another. And... And John the Baptist dies, and Jesus hears this. So Matthew 14, 13, Jesus got the news that John the Baptist had been beheaded. Now when Jesus heard it, he withdrew from there in a boat to a lonely place by himself. His dear friend, his dear cousin, dead. He went to be by himself. So John chapter 11, the story of Lazarus. So... There were three siblings, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Lazarus gets sick. They send for Jesus, ask Jesus to come, but Jesus delays. And Lazarus dies. Dear, dear friend of Jesus. So Jesus went. Mary and Martha came to him as he was on the way to the tomb. And When Jesus saw them weeping 
and the Jews who had also come with them, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. If you've been hurt, you can weep. Men, if you've been hurt, you can weep. It is okay. It is a godly thing to do. We can weep. It says he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. So, what if Jesus would not have grieved? It is my opinion and my observation that when we do not grieve, that our hearts grow hard and our hearts grow cold. Um, Peter and Jesus, the night before he died, Peter replied to Jesus, if everyone else falls away on account of you, I never will. Anyone who knows Peter knows that he makes some statements like that every once in a while. He had this idea, they can all fall away from you, but I never will. Peter really didn't know his own heart. He didn't know how flaky he was. And and I think a lot of us can identify with Peter in this. Have you ever been so dead set on something? This, have you ever made a vow? Have you, I'm not talking about marriage vows. Have you ever just made a vow in the moment, on the spot? I'm going to do this or I'll never do this. And how long did that last? See, we like to think that we're in control of all of our decisions. Now, the truth is, we will be held responsible for all of our decisions. But our our emotions up and down, up and down. Think about it. Married people in the house with your wife, your husband. Okay? Y'all aren't, y'all are just having a rough day. That spouse of yours says one thing to you, boom, where do you go? Okay? And then you get over real quick, and then boom, you go back to that place. We... Our emotions and the feelings that we have drive us to places that we don't need to be. And none of us have control over them as much as we say we would like to have control over them. And part of maturing in Christ is being able to experience the emotions without those emotions, you know, leading us to do things that we regret. That is part of maturing in Christ, is being able to feel all that's really, really going on. Um... You know, without doing things that we regret. And, you know, we're not controlled by our emotions. As you mature in Christ, you aren't as controlled by your emotions, perhaps as much as you once were. But Peter, you know, we can all identify with him. I never will. And Jesus says, I tell you the truth, this very night before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. And this is, there's a simple term for this it's denial. We think that we are so much more the master of our own hearts than we really are. And I think that's part of why God calls us just to live day by day by day. We wake up, and it doesn't mean we don't make plans, you know, 
not saying that at all, but I am saying that each day, what do we do? We wake up and we do what God wants us to do. And if we can do that every day of our lives, we will be where He wants us to be 10 years from now. And, you know, some of us, we get in this attitude of denial. Oh, I haven't been hurt. I'm tough. I'm strong. Or, you know, I lost this person. I shouldn't be as sad as I am right now. I'm tough. I'm strong. Yeah, I'm doing fine when you're really, really not doing fine. And it's almost like, you know, when we do that, it's like you would go and look in a mirror and the person that you see in that mirror is not who you really are. And when we can't be honest and real about where we're at, then we're painting this picture of someone that we're not. And that's just that's just a lie. Just It doesn't mean you have to tell everyone everything. I am by no means advocating that at all. But I am saying that God calls us in the Christian community. And if you're living the type of life where you look in the mirror and the person that you see and the person that everyone else sees is different from the person that you really are, then this is no, nothing short of deception, which is sin. And that, you know, to use a more common, slightly psychological term, is denial. I don't have a problem. I'm okay when we're really not okay. We do this all the time. We see Peter did it sometime too. Sometimes if we don't grieve, we also bargain with God. God has designed suffering to take us to a point where we meet Him and where we receive from Him. I don't know why He did it like that, but that's what He did. And we cannot point our finger at God and say, God, how dare you do this? Or God, if you undo this, if you undo that, if you give me what I lost, then I'll follow you all the days of my life. No, you won't. Because you're serving a God that you can manipulate, which is not a God at all. And just because you get what you want, it doesn't mean that you're going to do what you say you're going to do. Think back to what Peter just said. We're all just as flaky as we can be when it comes to these things. We can't bargain with God in our mourning. We have to receive. It's the hardest thing to do. Hardest thing ever to do. We have to receive from God what He gives to us. And as we do that, He will meet us. When we fail to grieve, we keep doors of our hearts shut. I think that I know from my own experience that there are seasons of my life where I've been hurt by different folks. And the first thing I want to do is just hide that little thing in my heart, shut the door on it, so I can't get into there. Because if I don't have to get in there, I don't have to deal with it. Things are a lot more rosy, a lot more peachy, you know, a lot, just a lot more comfortable and a lot more nice. But when we do that, we withhold those things from God. You know, we, we say we want to follow Jesus. And, and Jesus says that the greatest commandment is to love him with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, and all of our strength. Well, if you're going to love him with all of your heart, can you let him in? Do you have doors in your heart that have been shut to him? Are there tough, nasty spots in there? Are there things that you don't want to think about again? You know, you've just tucked them away because you didn't know what else to do with them. And that's fine if you didn't know what else to do with them. But God wants to come in. He 
He's not a God who forces himself in on people, at least not most of the time. He's a God who's calling us to love him. And as in a healthy marriage, you give yourself to the one you love, and you, as you get to know that person through the many years and decades, you, know, you, you open up your heart to that person, and they receive you, and, and it's a perfect, healthy, and there's no perfect, healthy marriage, but it's a healthy marriage. And as you open doors of your heart, you let people in, and as people are received, and people who are hurting, people who are grieving, open that door. Let God in. He is a God who heals. My opening verse, Psalm 147.3, He heals the brokenhearted. You got a broken heart? He binds up your wounds. It takes us going to Him and letting Him do that. Sometimes when we're hurt, when we lose someone and we're grieving, we think that if we don't grieve, then... You know, nothing has to change. And it's just a very simple thing came to my mind this morning. I was thinking about that. And, you know, there's a lot of road construction going on in this county. If you're used to driving down a road one way for years and they change the route, and now all of a sudden it merges or swerves to the left and instead of swerves to the right, what's going to happen if you swerve to the right the next time you drive that road? Change happens. You have to to follow the road. It's what's going on. That road is being rerouted. You have to stay between the lines. If you don't, it's going to end up bad for you. And some of us, we got this pain, we got this hurt, we have a loss, and we don't want to see the change, so everything inside of us tries to live as if nothing has changed. And it's just like driving that old route when it's not there anymore. Boom. Things are going to come. It's going to hurt It's going to be hard. God is a God who brings change. And in the middle of that change, read the life of Job. In the middle of that change, he gives and he takes away. And he gives and he takes away. And let me tell you, what he gives is so much greater than than anything that you are worried about losing. So my encouragement to you is to grieve Don't become hardened. The only way to do that is to let God in your heart and to embrace the change that comes your way. Um, There's a saying that um, I came across in a previous ministry, but they say embrace the cactus. This is the card I'm being dealt. I'm going to embrace it. Because that's the only thing I can do if I'm going to be real. So let's look at Jesus again. You can turn here if you want, Matthew 26. Jesus embraced the pain and the hardship and the sorrow of his coming death. Matthew 26, beginning in verse 37. I'll give you all another moment. Matthew 26, verse 37. Um, This was the night before he was hung on the cross. He knew what was about to come. 
And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Remember, he's being fully human. This is what it's like to be a real person. He began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch with me. So he was with three. He said, My soul is very sorrowful. Stay here. And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Anguish, distress, pain, deep emotions that none of us like to feel. None of us. That pain and that grief led him to his father. It's the only way that he could do what he did the following day for all of us when he hung on that cross. He went to be by himself. He came before his father. And there I believe it's in verse 39. Look where he says, My father, if it be possible. Tell God what's on your mind, people. Tell him what you want. Even if you think it might not be what he wants, just go ahead and tell him what you want. He wants to hear it. We're his children. And he's not, you know, like some of the dads that that's some people in here have had. He's a God who listens to his kids. He wants to hear it all. Just lay it out there before him. He'll receive you. And, and always. But he makes his request known. If it's possible, let this cup pass from me. He was about to drink the cup of the wrath of God that was burning against all of us because of our sin. It wasn't his cup to drink. It was our cup to drink. Our God is a holy God. And we have chosen to do our own thing instead of walking in his ways. And the wrath of God burns against those who are not right with God. Jesus took that wrath the very next day and he drank it. And he felt the wrath of God for our sin. The pain fire, all of it. Jesus didn't want to do that. He said, if it be possible, let's do something different tomorrow. Because Jesus knew what was coming. But then look at what he says. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Jesus went to his Father. He's fully human. He, he is Perfect human emotions here. Nothing wrong with how he's feeling. Nothing wrong or sinful about what he's saying. Nothing wrong about how he's pleading with God. Perfect humanity. He says, not as I will, but as you will. See, he was living a life fully in submission to the Father. And that's all that God calls us to. Is to live a life in submission to the Father. And so we have these things that we want. We can tell God. God gives them to us a lot of the time. And He shapes our desires and even changes our desires so that they are what He wants them to be. And so we can take our requests to Him. 
God doesn't give us everything that we wanted. He did not give His perfect, righteous, only begotten Son what He wanted. He gave Him the wrath of God. And Jesus went to that cross and He felt it all. And Jesus, in perfect submission, said, Not what I will, but what you will. Now, how did things turn out for Jesus? Really rough on Friday. But what happened on Sunday? He rose from the dead. Now He's in glory, sitting beside the Father in heaven. So, so, so Jesus went through that. He drank the wrath of God. He, he, he took it all in. He suffered and He was grieved and He went all the way through it. And look what God gave Him. Church, I want to tell you, if you grieve and you give God access to those areas of your heart, He will bless you. doesn't matter if it's the pain of a lost loved one, someone has abused you or done something awful to you or manipulated you, lied to you, tricked you, hurt you, gossiped about you, shamed you. Let God into that pain. God will exalt you. Read James chapter 4 if you want to see that. God will exalt you when you weep and when you mourn. It is okay to cry. So Matthew 5. So so Matthew 5, 4, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. That was one of the verses I started off with. I want to go back to it. Why is it a blessing to mourn? It's a blessing to mourn because that's when we see God the most. And seeing Him is the greatest blessing that we can ever have. Blessed are you when various trials and temptations come among you. James 1-2 says, Consider pure joy, my brothers, when this happens. Why does God do that? Why are we blessed as we go through the pits of life? We're blessed because it is our opportunity. It is something perfectly designed by God so that we can see His face. And don't you know that he is the most beautiful one that any of us have ever known? He's the most beautiful one that anyone in the world has ever beheld. So you are blessed when you mourn because you're going to see God. And as you see God, you will be comforted. Psalm 51, 17. The sacrifice you desire, God, is a broken spirit. You will not reject a broken and repentant heart have a broken heart, he will not reject that heart. He receives you right where you are. He comes again and again and again. Sometimes we say it's going to be okay, and that is true to some degree, but it is also true that if it is not okay, that it may not be okay right now. And if it's not okay right now, don't try to make it okay. Let it be messed up, and let God come in the midst of your pain. This is what he's calling us to. So Psalm 31, 7. We've already looked at it. I will be glad and rejoice in your unfailing love, for you have seen my troubles and you care about the anguish of my soul. His love for you is unfailing, church. Draw near to him and he will draw near to you. Are you lonely? 
feel like no one knows you, knows who you are. Feel like you have to be what everyone else wants you to be. His love for you is unfailing. God has seen your troubles. He cares about the anguish of your soul. He heals the brokenhearted. And He binds up their wounds. God calls us to grieve. God's people grieved. Jesus grieved. This is where he meets us. Embrace this process, church. Embrace it. It is what God has designed for your good. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the comfort that you have given to us from your word. Thank you for unfailing love. Pray that we would know your great love, particularly my family this week. That we would know your great love. That you would come and bless us and serve us and just give yourself to us over and over and over again. Bless your people. Open the doors of our hearts. God, I pray that some people here would not be able to let go of what they've heard today, God, whatever it is that you've said to them. So draw your people in. Make your people whole. Restore the brokenness. Or, yeah, restore those broken places, God. Make them whole. Bless us. Strengthen us. Prove to us and show us again and again that your love really is unfailing. Church, let's stand. Let's worship. and Let's sing.